Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 114 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I've been remiss, and I've been remiss in saying thank you. Thank you to the so many of you who reached out to me with well wishes and checking on how I'm doing since my two lung surgeries last year, the most recent one taking place near the end of 2018. And I really appreciate it. Uh, fortunate. I feel great. I've been back to work for some time now and uh, back in the gym. And my very first post-surgical CT scan blood work is coming up next week on Monday. And then I get the results on Wednesday from my oncologist. So any additional good wishes, good juju, prayers, all that is appreciated. Uh, Linda, my wife, and I are so hoping to hear those three letters, N-E-D. And I'm kind of confident that that's what we're going to hear. So stay tuned. We'll keep you posted. But again, thank you so much for all the kind messages uh, across all the social media channels. They're really appreciated. My guest this week is Michelle Longaba. Michelle is a survivor of anal cancer, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I just truly admired Michelle's outlook, her energy, her zest for life. It was a really inspiring conversation. I know you're going to agree. Join me now for my conversation with Michelle Longaba. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you making the time to join me today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Lee, and thanks for having me. And your smile that I see right now tells me that that's true. You're great. It's true. And with nine-year cancerversary coming up, that makes all the sense in the world. Did you envision nine years was going to happen when you initially were diagnosed? No. I was actually originally labeled with a three-year expiration date. So I often tell my husband that I, uh, I'm like spoiled milk. You don't, if with an expiration, you don't want to open the top. It might not smell very good inside. But, you know, exp expiration dates aren't really good in our economy, but I've definitely bypassed mine by six years. That's, that's terrific. How, how did you initially come to be diagnosed, Michelle? Well, I had what I had thought had been a hemorrhoid that I'd been ignoring for six months and just kind of self-treating, a little bit of bleeding, a lump. I... When I decided that I was going to be a big girl, and when I went to my well woman visit in January of 2010, I uh, decided I was just going to maybe talk to my OBGYN about it. Um, and when he examined me, the color drained out of his face, and he just said, "This this isn't a hemorrhoid." He didn't know what it was, but he just knew that it was not a hemorrhoid. And it was about a month's time. I had to see a colorectal surgeon. He took a look at it. He really didn't recognize it either and took some biopsies. So I was originally diagnosed with anal cancer in situ, which is like very local. 
I've also, then I complained incessantly about the sciatic pain that I had. So they just sent me back to my regular doctor. I'd had sciatic pain for 17 years since I had my daughter. Then, yeah, I, I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, and they called me back within an hour of my MRI and said I needed to see a neurosurgeon. And I still didn't get it. You know, I still didn't get it. So I knew if I had a friend and I knew that the best neurosurgeon in town was having a Saturday clinic. What are the odds? So I went to that Saturday clinic and that's where he told me that I had a tumor on my sacrum that was crushing my crushing my sciatic nerve, which is why I was having pain. Um, he didn't think it was related to the cancer in situ. He kind of thought it was sarcoma. So I had surgery the next Tuesday and he didn't recognize the cancer either because anal cancer is pretty rare and they don't see very many cases and they definitely don't do surgery on very many cases when it is identified. Um, so it took a few days and on February 4th, uh, an oncologist came into my room and I, when I saw him scrawl palliative care only on my chart, I, that was a, like a wow, wow moment. Whoa. Yeah. So what did they prescribe for treatment? So anal cancer is treated with um, two, with pretty, uh, with uh, chemo and radiation at the same time. So I had a round of mitomycin C and a continual 5-FU infusion, and I did a full-on pelvic radiation for seven weeks. The doctor, my radiation oncologist, fortunately had trained um, at MD Anderson. And so he had seen a lot of these cases wherein there are about 10 cases a year in Wichita, which is not that many. He had seen hundreds of people during his residency. So he actually called his buddies down there and they designed kind of an unusual, they call it a cowboy. So they really cowboyed you. And I'm like, yeah, that was out of the box. I took a lot of radiation to the pelvis, but I really kind of credit him for saving me and my surgeon for taking the time to scrape every last bit of tumor out that he could get instead of just freeing up the nerve and saying, wow, this is a big nerve. It was nice knowing her. He really took the time to, to take it all out. So it was, it was an interesting process. Yeah. That's a interesting is an interesting word to use. <laughs> well, you know, you look back on things, Lee, and they become surreal. They become surreal to you. So I look back, it was very painful. I had a major surgery. Three weeks later, I started this brutal kind of radiation chemo thing. I had hyper reaction, ended up in the hospital. They knew I shouldn't have a break in treatment. I was hauled across the street in an ambulance because I had pain drips on every day for two weeks. I was 47 years old. You know, I had three young kids. I had two in college and I had one in junior in high school. And I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to stay here for as long as possible. So, but it's surreal to me now. I guess maybe that's why I say it's interesting because it doesn't hurt anymore. And it's kind of weird to try to remember pain. Well, it's interesting that you use the word surreal because, you know, that happened to me and I thought it was just me when I woke up from my colonoscopy and my gastro says, you know, I couldn't get the scope all the way through and that should have set off all kinds of alarm bells and I just kind of sat there oblivious like it didn't register. So thank you for sharing that because it kind of validates what I went through because I, I thought it was just me. But lots of times when those things happen, I guess surreal is, is the right thing. It's just like you, you kind of 
move to a different universe or something like I, that. And your mouth kind of, I re literally remember when the oncologist came in and told me that I had stage four anal cancer. My mouth hung open. I mean, I, I could feel it hanging open. I could feel color draining from my face. I could see my husband go, what? And I remember thinking for a minute, just for a minute, a great shame um, stigma that comes with anal cancer. Unwarranted, I might add. But for just a minute, it's an embarrassing thing. Like you feel like you did something wrong. And that's not the case. We don't blame victims in this society. We don't blame victims in any society. You just don't blame people for being sick, for getting cancer. Nobody did anything to get that. They just do. But I had to step through that. And it's a very um, prevalent uh, condition in people that are diagnosed with rectal or anal cancer, even bladder, uterine, cervical, it's all kind of taboo-ish feeling cancer. Yeah. And, you know, like there's such thing as, as a good cancer and a bad cancer. You know, I just roll my eyes and and it, it is so unfortunate, and we've talked about this on this show many times about embarrassment and don't let embarrassment kill you. And, and, and there is no answer, at least I've not found one yet. You know, why are we as a society embarrassed about a function that we all do, hopefully every day, and it's not something we want to talk about. And you you indicated to me when we talked before uh, you know we went live here that that's not an issue for you uh, but talk to me a little bit Michelle about you know people you've run into and how you've navigated this whole embarrassment over bodily function kind of thing that that people with colon rectal anal cancer have to deal with you know that's a that's so easy to discuss because it's almost every person you talk to. And so I have found that a lot of people think that when I, they say, oh yeah, Michelle had cancer. Did she have breast cancer? Like, nope. And then I wait for it and then, well, what kind did you have? And I say, anal cancer. And there's usually two responses. One is, oh, I, that is the biggest one, oh. And then there's nothing that follows that. Not I'm sorry, or that must be really difficult. People just don't know what to say. Or they say, how did you catch that? Like, well, I didn't catch, yeah, catch it. Like it was, catch. Yeah, catch it. How did I catch it? Well, I didn't catch it. It's not like a cold. I got, you know, the human papillomavirus like everybody in the world gets. And I just, it changed my change my DNA. I've actually done a lot of advocacy work. Um, I did some interviews with iHeartRadio about that because really it is preventable cancer. Head and neck, those are preventable because most of them are caused by HPV. There's three different three different strains, but they know the most common and um, it can be given in an injection. And if you inject young kids when they're 11, 12, 13 years old, they only need a series of two injections. And it's like getting a measles injection. It's, you know, prevents you from getting the virus. And if we can prevent the virus, we can reduce incidence of this cancer. Australia is a perfect example of that. About 25 years ago, when Gardasil came out, they adopted that for their entire country. They immunized all their women, which was the original indication um, when they were young, and they have seen a marked drop in cervical cancer. So cervical cancer is caused by the same 
caused by the same virus. So I really am not ashamed to talk about it. I'm more interested in protecting the society of people that are coming forward. I think that that's really what's important is nobody has to be me, Lee. No, no one has to be me. Sure. Sure. No, no doubt. Going through the heavy radiation treatment, um, sure had its share of, of long lasting side effects. Talk to me about that and how you've managed through that. Lee, that is a interesting that you should bring that up because I'm on the struggle bus with it right now. So long-term side effects, I think are something that people, um, especially people that have had pelvic radiation, because there's a lot of organs in there. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen. You know, your bladder's in there, your bowels are in there. My ovaries used to be in there. They melted them. You know, my uterus is there. The for men, their testicles are there. So when you receive radiation like that, these long-term people are surviving longer than ever before. So here I am nine years later, they didn't expect me to be alive. So now I'm dealing with fallout from my radiation. And, you know, right now I'm in, I'm in the process of physical therapy. I'm having a lot of trouble, trouble with bowel control. I have a lot of urgency. I've had some incontinence and it can be depressing because you're, you know, here I've survived this cancer and you want to have every day be your best day. You want to have a good quality of life. So, you know, I struggle with, you know, a little bit of urinary incontinence. I have a lot of scar tissue in there and it, it's not like it's something that as time goes on, it gets better because really as time goes on, it gets worse. So, um, you know, not to mention, which I'm sure you're aware of, the further out you get from radiation, the higher your chances are that you'll get another kind of cancer from the radiation that they actually gave you to kill your cancer. So here we are. Which for me is, which for me is probably, uh, though no one has come out and said it, it's probably how I got colon cancer in the first place because I'm a survivor of uh, Wilms tumor, which is a rare form of pediatric kidney cancer. And the majority of my treatment when I was five years old was, guess what? Radiation to my, to my abdomen. And what kind of cancer did I wind up getting when I was 50? Colon cancer. So you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, despite the struggles, I think we all would agree, uh, we'll take the struggles, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, Lee, I do, right. I do agree with that. And I, I'd rather today... Um, you know, I'm a big blogger and I'm in the middle of writing a blog right now because I'd said something to my friend that I was, I'm living the dream because I just became a grandmother, which I never even thought. Oh, fantastic. I, I didn't even think I was going to see this girl graduate from high school. I thought I was going to die before she got out of high school. And here, you know, so I've seen her, I've seen my boys graduate from college and have their lives and my daughter get married and have her life. And I've got this grandbaby. And I said, you know, I was, I text her, I was texting her happy birthday. And then I text her a picture of my granddaughter. And she said, can you believe, would you have ever thought this would happen? And I said, you know, I used to believe that I was having a bad dream, that this was just a bad dream. But now if this is a bad dream, don't wake me up because uh-huh. I have gotten to see such wonderful things. And despite some of the challenges of living post-treatment, it, has been worth, it was worth, I didn't know at the time when I was doing it, I thought maybe dying would be easier than this. No, this was, this is, 
this is the gravy. I'm, I'm living into my gravy years. So, <laughs> well, speaking of you and I, th there was a chance that we could have met, but that my fault that we didn't because you attended a uh, colorectal cancer symposium in December 2014, I think maybe it was. Um, that I that I passed on attending, but something interesting happened there, which is how you and I came to meet through our through our good friend Dr. Laura Porter, who I had on the show. And as we were talking, you said something very interesting that was that was quoted there, and I want to dig into this. And what you said was, "I wish they had treated me like I was going to survive." What does that mean? Well, I I think we. It, they, because they thought I was going to die, and that was the expectation. My expect that's what they wrote in the chart, you know, three years with treatment. That was the expectation. I think that a lot of things that could have been done for me were kind of bypassed because she was gonna she's gonna die anyway. So most people that have major back surgery, like I did, they have physical therapy immediately. It wasn't till I passed my expiration date and I was struggling with back pain. They're like, Oh, you know, you should have had physical therapy. So it's trying to constantly undo um, damage that was done. And as we move forward, when I go there, it's not enough that I don't have active cancer right now. That's not enough. Um, that's a, you have to have quality of life. And I really um, strongly have been advocating for palliative care. Um, I testified in Washington, D.C. I went and talked to the senators there on a palliative care bill because I believe that palliative care would have changed my existence from day one. And I think no matter your age or the stage of your cancer or whatever illness you have, that palliative care should be integrated so that they're looking for these problems or doing things that are preventative. So... You said there weren't, wasn't anything that was off limits. So if you'd like me to mm -hmm. give you an example, I, I can give you a great example. So pelvic radiation in both men and women um, alters sexual function. That's not, that's not a secret. Sure. But one of the things that they could have addressed for me was try to do something to help me maintain my pelvic, my, my ability to have sex, which is penetration. That would have, there are things they can do. They can give you a dilator. In the United Kingdom, they give people dilators that they put in during radiation. And then they tell them, instruct them to wow. use them because what happens is it gets burnt, it gets scarred, and it atrophies. Well, nobody helped me with that. And, you know, I, I take issue with people that say that my husband should just be grateful I'm alive or I should just be grateful to be alive because it dismisses a part of who we are and sexuality is part of who you are. And it's, if you're a married person or not a married person, if you're in a relationship with somebody, that's maybe part of your relationship. And then that creates an additional loss that doesn't need, that maybe doesn't need to happen. At least I would have felt like I had done something to thwart, you know, to thwart it. So, um, you know, I ended up working, you know, it, eight years later, you know, crying and, a specialist office saying, I, I don't understand why this is okay. Not, why is it okay for me to be this way? And is this just it? And, um, you know, fortunately I got connected with someone who works with this kind of thing and she got me kind of got a, back on the right track and 
but it's, I think those things need to be addressed early. And initially, no matter how long you have to live, it doesn't matter if it's three days or three weeks or three months or three years, or hopefully for you and me, like three decades, you know, does it matter? Every day should be your best day and your body should be functioning the best that it can for all those days. You know, the, you bring up so much that that's so important. And, and I just want to pivot here real quickly. Uh, we delved into this topic uh, fairly in depth on episode 69. Uh, our listeners can go back and listen at wehavecancershow.com forward slash 069. When I interviewed Dr. Sage Bolte, who is an expert on this topic on sexuality and dealing with the uh, impact of cancer treatments on sexuality and it is an important topic so uh, listeners if, the, if this is something important to you go check out that episode but uh, you bring up an interesting point michelle in that uh you, unfortunately and that's just the way it is in, here is you have to ask you have to speak up and because you can't just rely on your oncology team to address this issue Right, you know, uh, ninety-nine out of a hundred aren't gonna aren't gonna no. say to you. Let's talk about uh, the impact that this is gonna have on your sexuality and and what we can do to minimize that impact. If you don't if you don't bring it up, it's likely that it's not gonna come up. And this is just the whole part, isn't it, of of of, of palliative care? Yes, and it and here's the thing: it's the thinking of everything that you you can't think of when someone says the word cancer because that's all you can think about they're like you know you sign a paper that <laughs> who's thinking of their sex life when yeah, they get diagnosed you could have right? you sure. could lose kidney function you could lose this could all these things could happen where do i sign you know you just think you're gonna die if you don't it's it feels like such an emergency to you that it makes it really difficult for you to come up with really good questions and you if somebody isn't looking around corners for you because you can't look around. You don't know. This is new to you. You don't know to look around corners. Kind of like a, I always hear Dr. Phil say that teenagers don't look, they, they don't think about what's around the corner. They can't see around corners and adults can because we've kind of navigated through life already. It's the same thing when you get cancer. We can't see around corners. They can because they've seen so many people go through it. So I think those things can be addressed. And I think they should be addressed. And I think more and more, um, I'm seeing a change starting to come with nurse navigation. Um, but it's more on the inpatient basis. And most oncology is outpatient service based. So, you know, I could talk for an hour to you about how I think that there should be a thing called cancer rehab. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I sit on a onco local oncology council at one of my local hospitals as a patient. And I also work as full-time as a, a work for a pacemaker company full-time. I pay, I check pacemakers. I'm a, a field clinical specialist. Mm -hmm. I'm in a lot of cardiology offices. I snatched a brochure up that said cardiac rehab. And I read about it. Oh, after your heart attack and you're going to go do this and you're going to go and be, have supervised exercise and you're going to see a dietitian. They are, they're doing it. They're doing it after you have a heart attack. And what I'd really like to see is something called cancer rehab. And when you're done with your treatment, they don't just say, now you go home and rest because a lot of people hear that. Now you just go home and rest and get better. Well, you've had a major assault 
to not just your where you've had radiation, but if you've had chemotherapy, you've had a major assault to your body. And that is going to require a dietitian, a physical therapist, a social worker, um, maybe some counseling. Maybe your family needs counseling after something like this, um, a lifestyle change. Maybe you can't work anymore. That's, you know, one of the things that's kind of kept me going is my work, but it's also one of the things that's the biggest struggle for me. So um, I, I had to pick that out all myself to do it. And I learned by turning the corner and getting hit by something instead of knowing what's around that corner and being able to thwart it or defend myself from it, if that makes right. any sense to you. A hundred percent. Been there, done that. And, uh, and I'm going through it right now. And even if you, if your treatment is strictly surgery, you know, there's impact there too. Exactly. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. Each form of treatment has its after effects that need to be addressed. If you could put together a list, Michelle, of questions that you think anybody impacted by cancer should be asking their treatment team out of the ordinary, what what might be on that list? Oh, that's a great question. I was like, yeah, I wish you would have told me that ahead of time. So I could think on the spot a little bit. I, <laughs> I do know that I, I might have asked, am I going to be able to work through this process? I probably would have asked, I definitely, well, I don't know. Here's the thing is, are you asking me what I would ask now in hindsight? Ah, yeah. Because in yeah. hindsight, yeah, sure. In hindsight, yeah, I would yeah. have said, "What are what other options I might have for treatment?" I, ha- I recently had a, a conversation with another gal that had anal cancer that also had limited sexual function, and she said she wished she had give, been given a choice between having a colostomy or doing the treatment. Now, for me, I would have done the treatment, and I'll, I just was petrified of having a colostomy, but she said it. For her, she felt like if she had done gone that route, that she wouldn't have lost her sexual function and it wouldn't have, and I, I believe it led to maybe a divorce. I wasn't really sure. But I think those kind of things I really need to be discussed. They sit down and they do. I remember vaguely them, the nurse talking to me about this list of problems. And I really wish that we could have addressed those sooner. And then what do you do if, if you're really, really sick? I didn't even know the guideline. When should I call? When do I not call? My sister came and cared for me. Now, I can't imagine people that don't have people that can come and care for them, drive them to treatments. Um, I I mean, I didn't know until I was, there's no course called Cancer 101. Here's what to expect. Right. Plan for the worst. Cancer for dummies. Yeah, right. <laughs> hope for the best. You know, plan for the worst. Hope for the best. This is how to do it. A how-to book. You know how how to navigate your chemo and radiation. So I guess as a list of questions, I would have asked. You know, I didn't even ask what was going to happen to me. I just said okay. And I remember my radiation oncologist. Love that guy. He said. The first couple of weeks, you're going to feel like the machine isn't probably working at all, doing anything. The second couple of weeks, he said, you're going to feel 
like you have the flu and the last few weeks will get you through it. And I just didn't know what that meant. And I didn't know that you shouldn't interrupt treatment for squamous cell cancer, that the compounding of the radiation, like super important with squamous cell cancer, like super important. And you shouldn't take more than a day break. Mm. Counting your weekends, you shouldn't take more than a day break. And that's why he was hauling me across the street. I mean, he was pretty honest with me and just said, if I don't take you across the street, if we don't restart this, you will die. It'll come back for sure. So I was like, okay, you know, I was 47 years old. So I was like, okay, let's do it. But at the same time, I didn't know pre going in, if someone had said, you need to complete all these treatments in succession, I could have been prepared for that. And if there was something that was thwarting that, I would would have been able to say, what are we going to do? Because I've got to complete these treatments. So what are we going to do to help me? Mm. It's really difficult to be your own advocate. You really need to have somebody that's with you. You're so right. And we talk, we, you know, that's such a common theme. Be your own advocate. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and how do I do that? It's, it's impossible, I think, when you're, when you're the patient and people are going, well, you know, you're a nurse. Why didn't you speak up? Or I was dying, you know? I could not think. I was fortunate that I had some good friends that were in the medical profession that were, you know, physicians, friends that i worked with, and they had my back. They were asking questions. They were looking in my chart. You know, they were attending appointments with me after I'd gone home. They were interpreting information. And it's not that I can't interpret for someone else because I'd be really good at it because it wasn't happening to me. But when it's happening to you, it's very difficult to self-advocate when you're in the throes of it you almost need a mentor or someone that'll be a partner for that's you. a great word mentor that's a great that's a great word yeah no doubt things like what you're doing How- that helps people because if i was new to cancer and i could come on and listen to the different people that you've had because i've listened to several things that you've put that would help me ask questions great that's good to know how has this whole experience changed you and your you know the dynamic of your family relationship well as my husband likes to say every day is a blessing and every meal is a banquet and for me my my family doesn't even know how to react to me sometimes because i i know that every day is a gift and it's extra For me, it's just all extra. And they always accuse me, mom, you're so extra. I'm like, I know, because every day I have is extra. This is just an extra day I didn't think I was going to get. So I kind of don't let the little things bug me. And um, I'm closer with my children. I'm super close with my daughter, who actually watched me go through this experience and thought she was going to lose her mom. So uh, very, very close with her. My husband, uh, he is a rock. And... You know, he said, I'm no fun anymore because I won't argue about anything. If I'm going di- <laughs> to if I'm gonna dig in, I just say, you know, I'm going to dig in. So let's not even talk about this. Or if I'm going to, okay, I'll compromise. I just do it right away. He said, I don't, I don't spar anymore. I'm not very good. But I, because I think the anger is kind of a wasted emotion for me, that instantaneous anger. I might get angry sometimes that I've been sick, but anger towards other people 
you know, I, I don't have road rage anymore. You know, those kind of things. I just, sure. you know, kind of let those things go by the wayside and try to appreciate the everyday. I did settle things um, with some people in my family. And now I have a much better relationship because of that. And I figure that life is too short. So I have to be good with everybody and I stay out of everybody else's drama. And I just, you know, I have a great relationship with my mother and I come to terms with some things because everybody has things in their family. And so I think it's really changed my outlook on the relationships of the, that I have with the people that love me. And you also find out who your friends are. And I don't know if you have that experience. A hundred percent. You find out who your friends right. are. And some of the people that you thought maybe weren't such good friends are the great friends. And other people that you thought were fantastic friends couldn't deal. And and that's okay. Right. That's okay. I, I, I've, I've quoted my friend and former guest, Michael Holtz, dozens of times. So I'll do it once again because Michael's been on the show twice. And uh, I think he put it so eloquently in what he said when I interviewed him goodness, about three and a half years ago uh, for his first interview, he said, the portrait of your friends and family before cancer will not be the same portrait of your friends and family after. Truly. And I think that was so eloquently put. Truly. You know. Truly. You mentioned that you're, you mentioned that you have a blog. Yes, I do. First and foremost, where, where can people find they it? They can find it out on Tumblr. And it's I mm -hmm. have but, B-U-T-T, -T, what, I have but what? <laughs> yeah, it's on tumblr.tumblr. <laughs> okay. And I started actually blogging before I knew what was wrong with me. So after I had my appointment with my OBGYN, I was, I was having this horrible leg pain and they'd been trying all these pain medicines. I was up in the middle of the night taking a Dorvacet N100 thinking that was going to relieve, who knew, tumor pain. But I... My son had a blog at the time, which he doesn't anymore. It was called Everyday Shenanigans while he was up in college. And I used to read it all the time. And I thought, I was up in the night waiting for a pain pill to work. I'm like, well, if he can blog, I can blog. I'm going to write about what's happening to me. And so I started writing before I knew I had cancer, before I had a name. And just my entire journey and experience from day one. And it was cathartic. Oh, my goodness. The minute it was out. I felt like I didn't have to think about it anymore. And so I have been blogging for like nine years. It's nine years wow, I've been blogging impressive. and I continue to blog today. And I, I've self-published it into a book. We're working on the third edition right now because we just add to it. And, and that my book is called, If You're Not Laughing, You're Dying. And it was, it's just a republication of, of my book and kind of the crazy twists and turns that it took to get to where I am now to having my daughter. I don't, do you know what a wordle is? You know, word cloud. I, I do. So uh -huh. my daughter did a paper when she was in college and she actually did it over my blog. She asked for permission. I said, sure. And she did word clouds at different month intervals. And they started out so despairing, like pain and fear and scared and were all the big words. And as she went further along, those change to joy and hope and happiness and relief. And she showed it to me. She came and she showed it to me. And you know, it kind of made me cry a little bit, but. I'm sure that's so cool. Yeah, wow. From the depths of despair to 
you know, where I am today, which I write more philosophically, I think most of my posts now are like epiphanies or, you know, <laughs> my thoughts today, which are much different. And, you know, I've had a recurrence of my cancer, you know, back in 2012 and again in 2013 in my lung. And I just approached it differently than I did the first time. There was no despair. I was a little annoyed, more annoyed by it. I just didn't have time for cancer. Who has time for it? So <laughs> time consuming. But I approached yeah. it differently. Um, and my periods of darkness were shorter. But I wrote through it all. And I never thought a single person would ever read it. I never thought anyone would read it. And I ended up with a lot of people became followers and friends of ours and people we rodeoed with. My daughter rodeoed and if I didn't write for two or three days, they were worried sick about me. You know, they call my husband, but she hasn't blogged. What's going on? So, you know, people kind of used it to, you know, kind of take your temperature and see where you're at. Right. Sure. So, sure. Sure. Where else can people find you online, Michelle? They can find me on Facebook and I'm not afraid. So they can find me on Facebook or they can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at crazy ass cancer. <laughs> I love <that>. I get <laughs> a lot of comp I get a lot of comments on that. And I'm um, at Pollyanna life on, uh, on Instagram. And I picked Pollyanna life because I wrote a blog about that. Cause I said, I'm the Pollyanna of stage four cancer. I don't know if you know much about Pollyanna. Have you ever seen that movie where she's like, Oh, there's, I have not. Oh, you need to go see it. It's an oldie. It's an oldie, but a goodie. And it's about a girl. Okay. That has tragedy or parents are killed missionaries that are killed and she ends up living with her aunt but she's real positive and it's annoying to people because she's just so positive all the time throughout the whole movie and i kind of feel when i get involved with some people that have stage four that are at a different place than i am they're like you're so like annoyingly happy i'm like well i kind of feel like it's a choice and i can choose happy or crappy and happy's easier and that's just where I'm at. I would say, I would say thank you if I heard that comment. Well, you know, <laughs> right? yeah, I, I am happy, but I don't judge people because you know what? People are where they're at and you meet people where you're, where they're at, not where you think they should be or you want them to be. People have to work through this. People have to work through their cancer at their own rate. It is good though, to connect with other people like you and through the anal cancer foundation, the HPV and Anal Cancer Foundation. I'm a mentor for them and I'm a patient partner. So they hooked me up with different people. And I've met so many different women across the country through their peer-to-peer -peer program. And I just am a way for someone that they can talk to that's kind of been there and help them navigate a little bit the system and, you know, deal with their deal with their cancer. Anal cancer is very lonely. It's very, and I'm sure other cancers are too. I can only speak for mine. But even now, even though this, I don't feel stigmatized by it, I still feel isolated and lonely because, you know, no one's having a, you know, you're tough enough to wear pink, but are you badass enough to wear blue? That's what I, that's what I always <laughs> say. But, you know, that uh -huh. there's no, there's not that scaffolding of support from the nation. You're just no doubt sure. isolated, you know? Yeah. And look, you know, that's, that's been the hope. And I've talked to so many people about this in the colorectal community is, you know, to, that we look forward to seeing the day where 
blue is as prevalent as pink. Uh, and certainly it's not a contest. No. But there, there was a time when, you know, talking about breast cancer was, uh, you know, there was a stigma there and it was not something, quote unquote, you talked about. And now you see men running 5Ks in pink bras. Right. right. So if, you know, if we can get to that point, why can't this be the next thing, so to speak? And, and it should be. I, I should agree. Be. I think, you know, blue comes in many colors. There's 52 different shades of it. And um, that's, I have a Facebook page called 52 Shades of Blue. You can put that down. People can go out and find Ooh. me there. And, okay. and the reason I call it 52 Shades of Blue is because it always seems to me that the, the below the belt cancers are always get the blue ribbon. We just get a different shade. We all get a different shade. <laughs> so, you know, it's really kind of interesting that, you know, of course, bladder cancer just changed theirs to yellow not very long ago, but it used to be light blue. And prostate cancer is blue, and colorectal cancer is blue, and cervical cancer is teal, oh. which is a kind of blue. Right. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I kind of think that it's the below-the-belt cancers that right. we just need a little recognition. And blue's always been my favorite color anyway. So right? There. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with blue. People get the blues. Absolutely. We get the, everyone gets right, the blues. Right. So we know it. So not not wishing that uh, on anybody. Sure. Right. Right. So all the links that you've shared will be included in the show notes with this episode. Listeners can find it at wehavecancershow.com. Michelle, it has been a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you. I truly appreciate the generosity of your time. Uh, There's no doubt that your story will both inform and inspire those who listen. And I do hope that our paths cross in the near future. I hope so too, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk about this with you. And thank you for all that you do for those of us out here that have cancer, because we do have cancer, right? Absolutely. And we is always capitalized. Yep, always. W, capital W, capital, capital e. e, because it's all about we. Yeah. Uh, we are all touched by it. And not only that, but as I like to say, and my wonderful wife, Linda, likes to echo, is that we have cancer, but it doesn't have us. Amen. Be well, my friend. Thank you. You take care as well. There are several fun and exciting ways you can get your rear in gear coming up over the next few months some great events uh, supported by the colon cancer coalition coming up on saturday february 23rd is the get your rear and gear 5k run walk and kids fun run this is in austin texas at camp mayberry on the following day sunday february 24th the 5k get your rear and gear run walk in tucson arizona at omni tucson national resort on saturday March the 2nd in Fort Worth, Texas is the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run, Walk, and Kids Fun Run. That is taking place at Trinity Park. Also on Saturday, March 2nd in Savannah, Georgia is their Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run, Walk, and Kids Fun Run. That is taking place at 225 Candler Drive in Savannah, Georgia. The following day on March 3rd, Sunday in San Antonio, Texas is there. Get your rear and gear 5K run, walk, and kids fun run. That's at Morgan's Wonderland. And coming up on Saturday, March 9th for our friends in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is their 5K run, walk, kids fun run taking place at Pennington Biomedical Research Center. 
for our friends in Raleigh, North Carolina. Also on Saturday, March 9th, is the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run. That is at Wake Med Soccer Park. And not to forget our friends in Tulsa, Oklahoma, also on Saturday, March 9th, is your Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk. That's at Guthrie Green. And we also have one additional Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run also taking place on Saturday, March 9th in Winston-Salem at Quarry Park. And in Nashville, Tennessee on March 9th. Boy, we are busy on March 9th. Taking place at the Richland Creek Greenway is your Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run. And to round out the month of March on Saturday, March 23rd in Portland, Oregon is the Trailblazers Colon Cancer Awareness Night. This event is in partnership with the Portland Trailblazers NBA basketball team uh, with the uh, all proceeds for this event going to the Colon Cancer Coalition. For more information on this and all of the Get Your Rear and Gear events, visit the Colon Cancer Coalition website at coloncancercoalition.org forward slash events. Wow, how could you not admire and be inspired by Michelle's story? You know, every cancer experience is a challenge. There's, there's no such thing, I believe, as an easy cancer or an easy experience. But some uh, treatments are a lot more challenging than others. And anal cancer certainly falls in that uh uh, bucket of, of the more challenging treatments. And, and because of that, I have extra admiration and respect for Michelle and her attitude and her enthusiasm. Previous episodes, in case you missed them, episode 113, I had the pleasure of interviewing Fong Lee Gallagher and Christina Smith talking all about the Colon Club. Uh, prior to that, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dean Hall. Swimming in Miracles was Dean's theme. Just a really inspiring conversation with Dean. You can go back and find that in episode 112. And prior to my conversation with Dean, I interviewed Dr. Karen Heigenberger, co-founder and CEO of Lifebulb. You can listen to all these episodes by subscribing to the We Have Cancer podcast wherever you listen to music and podcasts, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Thank you for joining us this week. Be well, everyone. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.